Hey everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, Angel Collinson is back on the show for another edition of Deep Dives with Angel. And in our conversation, we explore Angel's recent open mic piece that was about steeping and integrating experiences. This is a fantastic piece. As I say, it's something that I think I need to think about and work on a lot for myself. And so we will include a link to her open mic piece in the show notes of this episode. And I would highly recommend all of you to check out that open mic piece and all of our open mic pieces because we have had a whole slew of phenomenal ones. Also in this conversation, Angel and I talk about the very tricky topic of jealousy. And I hope that conversation gets all of us thinking a bit better, hopefully a bit more clearly on that topic because man, it's a doozy and it can certainly screw up some really good relationships. Then from there, we also talk about a number of the other excellent questions that were submitted by all of you. And that includes a conversation about imposter syndrome and a very pressing question, which is, are you on team veggie burger and bourbon or team mini chewy sweet tarts and Prosecco? That might not make a lot of sense right now, but listen to the episode And I imagine you're going to have a very strong opinion about which team you are on. This episode is presented by one of the apps that I use the most every week, OpenSnow. OpenSnow is a one-stop shop for all of the essential weather tools. You can view 10-day weather forecasts for any location on Earth, read expert local analysis from OpenSnow's team of local forecasters, track active fires with perimeter, hotspot, and smoke forecast maps, avoid lightning with live and forecast radar, compare recent conditions and forecasts at your favorite locations, and much, much more. Even better, when you head over to opensnow.com, you can now upgrade to all access status using the discount code BLISTER23 at checkout to save 50% off your first year. That's blister23 at opensnow.com. And now, it's time once again to dive deep with Angel Collinson. Here we go. Well, Angel, how are you today and where are you today? I am doing good. Yep, just on the treadmill that is real life. What are you laughing at? <laughs> it took it took you like 15 seconds to get the words <laughs> I am doing good out. So I'm I'm not sure I totally believe you, but but please continue. I'm doing good. That's less than two seconds. And uh yeah, just like still adjusting to the pace of modern life, which I kind of talked about in my last piece, but um, 
somehow when you reintegrate to society, your hours just fill up with stuff and it seems so full. You can't remember what you've done. Um, I'm sitting in my apartment in Boulder, which is awesome. Um, I'm still in the unfinished and unfinished corner with my Leatherman and singing bowls and unhung artwork and the things you look at. You're like, I really got to do something with those. Anyways, what about you? How are you? Where are you? I'm at my house. Just came back from Blister headquarters, had a really good meeting with the outdoor industry MBA students at Mm. Western. Um, That was really fun and uh, some sharp folks in that class. And so we did that, came back here to talk to you. And uh, yeah, I think some of uh, what we're going to be talking about today, including your last open mic piece, you wrote a lot, a lot of times your open mic pieces these days, I feel like it's like, I think she's talking to me. (laughs) So good. So we're going to unpack that. We're going to unpack that a little bit, maybe, maybe for entirely selfish reasons. Cool, cool, cool. But no, all in all, all in all, things are good here. On that note, though, talk a bit about this current pace you've set and where you feel like your day just gets filled up. Is that because of better access to faster internet? Is that like why just by virtue of, say, you know, living in Boulder as opposed to on a boat, should things change so drastically in terms of what's happening to your hours in a day? I mean, that is the million dollar question that I can't quite figure out. Um, It's like, I think that there's something about, you know, living simply and living on the boat where there's more immediacy for the life at hand. Um, And there's more logistics. I also wasn't working. But yeah, there's something about when you that I've been thinking about when you integrate back into like society and the land of technology where all of a sudden, um, I, I, well, I've been thinking about how, you know, even 20 years ago, like you'd travel somewhere, you'd meet somebody, have a great time, you'd part ways and you would never see them again, never talk to them again. And so your circle of friends or acquaintances would sort of naturally thin out. And now with like our hyper connectivity, it's like you can be connected to every single person from every single chapter of your life. And the thinning out process is just like, how do we navigate that? You know, how do we navigate friendships from an old chapter that we don't really want to talk to anymore, but maybe they still do. Um, So the thinning out of circles on top of the caught, like the global situation of causes that we want to be a part of, events that we want to plan, the amount of people that are interacting in these events. It's like our circles are getting bigger and bigger. The causes that we want to be a part of, the ways we want to be of service, it's like on a global scale. And, you know, I still feel like I'm my brain is in the part of like the immediacy of like our tribe or our small community or like how do you help the people that are just in your circle and not like How do I help the people in Maui who just, you know, suffered this devastating loss with the Lahaina fire or, you know, like, what is my role with trying to participate in society and give back and spread awareness? It's like, it's overwhelming with how much connectivity there is and figuring out how to choose um, what to be a part of. Yeah. 
except I don't know if it's an except. It's like a weird and though. I feel like I just keep reading studies about how people feel less connected than ever or maybe some of this is specifically to men where there are reports that men are saying that they have like zero or one Mm -hmm. friend Mm -hmm. in the world. And so, and yet we also hear reports about students, you know, having such full schedules, packed schedules more than ever before and sort of no time that's just not already kind of accounted for. So there actually seems to me, because while you're talking, I'm like, yeah, that's actually true. Like we, we are reachable more than ever all the time by anyone, it seems. And so I kind of feel closer to what you were saying, whereas like the the social network just expands, kind of feels like the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And yet when we look at a, some of the reports, it's about a lack of friends. It's about a loneliness mm-hmm. epidemic. How do we square these mm-hmm. things? I think it's such an interesting point um, because I really do think that uh, where we truly get fulfilled is like the immediate uh, presence that we experience with people knowing like, Hey, I'm having a hard time. Can you come over to my house and sit with me? You know, I just had a friend that did that the other night. It was just so meaningful to go sit with my friend for three hours and help him workshop something that was really, really hard. And, um, there's Brene Brown, who's just one of my all time fave, uh, people, you know, she's an author, she's a social scientist, she's really data driven. And she talks about this loneliness epidemic. And I think it's kind of a twofold thing. I think that we're getting uh, busier and busier and more involved on in our online lives and not building real relationships um, or like deep, deep, like I got cancer, who's going to take me to chemo kind of a thing, relationships. Um, and the, the time, like I know, especially for men or like, or at least the men that I know in my life, obviously I'm not a guy, but the time outside or like building something like being part of a project where you're making something or you're doing something like a mountain bike ride, like those types of in-person activities are where the men in my life find their deepest bonds being forged. And, you know, that requires like in-person time and that in-person time I feel like is becoming more and more sparse. And, but what Brene Brown is talking about with the loneliness epidemic, which I think is really, really interesting is, um, oh, and there's really interesting stats about loneliness too, because in her book, Braving the Wilderness, she kind of goes through some different statistics of like, um, if you suffer from obesity, you're like 10 times more likely to die an earlier death. Um, alcoholism is like, you know, 15 or something. And she kind of goes up the you know, risk factors for like an earlier death and loneliness is like you're 40 times more likely. It's at the highest of all of our like perceived problems. It's like the most fatal, um, affliction that we have because we are such social creatures. And what she talks about in this book is how, um, you know, with Instagram and Facebook and our news feeds, 
and, you know, the polarization of our political scene. We're dividing ourselves, especially like from from now till back in the 80s, we've seen this, she calls it like factioning, where um, even in our neighborhoods, we're tending to be, we're like live with people whose political ideologies we agree with. And the more that we faction ourselves, you would think the more connected we would feel, right? We're with like-minded individuals who, you know, we can talk with about things easier, but actually there's an inverse relationship uh, with loneliness scores and being with people who we don't agree with. And it's this really interesting, yeah, phenomena that she talks at length about in the book, which is really cool. And her whole title, Braving the Wilderness, is like, how do we get up close and personal with all of these different people in the world that we might not agree with, but there's something so fundamental about being able to exist through differences that we actually find a lot of um, resolve and connection in. So what's the what's the punchline? What's the action <laughs> item here, given all that? I mean, for me, I think the action item is not being afraid to like talk to your neighbors or talk to all of these people that have different ideas than us, you know, like I sit on the plane all the time next to people who I'm like, I know we're on different sides of the political spectrum, but we have like the dopest conversations about spearfishing and they're telling me what lures to use, you know, like sailing from Miami to Cuba or whatever. And uh, so I think that's a part of it, like getting more up close and personal with strangers, like having meaningful interactions with people that we might not uh, that we might initially kind of straight arm, just having like a little bit more of an open mind around it and not like othering humanity so much. But I think the other one is really prioritizing time just to like personal time with people. And that's what I've been finding here. It's so easy to get caught up in the like emails or to-do lists or meetings or planning for future events or whatever that making quality time, like carving it out of our schedules is is like getting harder and harder. And I think that that's the action item is just like, and if you are struggling making friends, like a lot of the people that I like worked with, with my Ayurvedic health coaching business that kind of went into just, I hate the word life coaching business, but it sort of transitioned into more of that realm is so much was like, I just want better community. I want to make better connections and I don't know how. And I don't think that there's a magic answer. Like everyone in like my closest connections in my life have come in randomly, but it's just from me being out in the world. And so being in the places where people are doing the things that you like, you know, it's like being open for that is a big, is a big part of it. But yeah, just like making time to be with the people that you want or doing the things you want around the type of people who do the things that you like to do. That's my personal opinion. If I had to try to, since I made you answer it, like what's the punchline? What's the actionable yeah, what's item? Yours? One thing that comes to mind for me, and people can listen to this, hear this, and think that's interesting or like whatever and dismiss it. That's fine. I don't care either way. But in trying to think about somebody who's like, wow, yeah, I, <clears throat> I do feel lonely. I am alone a lot. I don't feel like I have that rich, dependable crew of friends, friendships, or close family relationships. One pro tip, I guess, or amateur tip to, to, to be more <laughs> accurate, is um, ask people questions. Ask mm. questions about mm. the person. How are they doing? What have they been up to? Like, 
it's hard for me to imagine if, if somebody is struggling to, and, and would like to grow their community, if they're really good at that and they're doing that already, I would be a little bit surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think those are ways, one, to get to know people better, and it also just strengthens mm-hmm. connections, mm-hmm. right? So... Yeah, and having like a good go-to question instead of what do you do? Because that's like what what everybody asks in the U.S., which is so funny um, because we find our, so much of our identity is wrapped up usually in our careers. And so it's really fun to find a fun question like, what's your most favorite thing that you've done recently? Or... Um, yeah, or, or like if you could be an animal, what would it be? Just like a different type of connection point than around career um, and finding like a funny one that feels true to you or maybe it's not funny, maybe it's meaningful. Maybe it's like, you know, the classic, if you could, you know, have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would it be? Like whatever, those types of deeper connection um, questions are so fun to get out of the blue when you meet somebody new and they ask you some random question and you're like, oh my God, who are you? Like, this is cool. Let's go deeper on this like interesting question. You know, the current best question in <laughs> the world actually. Oh, wow. And so this oh, wow. will be my next question for I'm you. I'm nervous. Yeah. Okay. It's two part. Have you seen the movie Oppenheimer and have you seen the movie Barbie? Oh, you're going to not like my answer. I haven't seen either of them, but I did just okay. go to the That's movie right. theater yesterday and I was like, oh, right. There's like Barbie and Oppenheimer things happening. But I saw the movie Princess Mononoke, which is, um, yeah, it's an anime huh. Hayao Miyazaki, um, really, really great film that's in uh touring around in some theaters right now again it's old but so i that's what i thought no it's 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 not not it's like re-released in theaters but it's so awesome it's a lot of people that i know it's like their favorite movie um princess mononoke um but i will flip the question back on you since i had a very boring answer (laughs) have you seen either of them i have i've i've went and saw oppenheimer um i have not yet made it to barbie and i think both were showing at our little local theater here in Crested Butte. And uh, I saw Oppenheimer with um, a, in a very packed theater uh, with a number of CB locals. I think Barbie already took off, mm. so I'm not sure when I'll be able to see that. I very much want to, and I think it's been fascinating. I mean, that would definitely have registered initially as a film where my mm-hmm. interest level would have been zero, and I'm really fascinated by all of the commentary. It's crazy. Around the film. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. And honestly, I, I, it seems like it's pretty great uh, from most of the kind of opinions I've heard about it. And so, yeah, I can't say I've ever cared about Barbie, but I think it's fascinating that Allegedly, there's been a very interesting um, handling of the sort of topic, and um, and I'd be curious to see what Greta yeah. Gerwig did exactly. Yeah, same. Oppenheimer, I'd say, is worth seeing because, I mean, you probably should see it, but I don't know, anybody who likes to you know think about stuff, it definitely raises some of the absolute biggest possible mm. topics Mm. of human existence and so whether or not people like the film don't like the film 
just in terms of a catalyst for thinking through, right, the invention of a machine that for the first time in human history had the capacity to destroy yeah. the world. That's represents an interesting moment in time. And um, it certainly created a whole modern yeah. future, yeah. global culture of, <clears throat> of weapons race. And uh, what do we do when we have, when humans come up with and, and create technologies that can literally then just totally. destroy it all? Yeah, but rather than like say the film is amazing or anything like that, I just think like it was, um, it's a three hour thought piece for mm -hmm. thinking through some of those topics. So yeah, don't know if it's better than Barbie. Maybe it's not, but that's, I feel like we've done our cultural, current culture service uh, <laughs> Go by us. bringing those two things up. So we're allowed to like, you know, continue now. Yeah. <laughs> Go us. Next, as I said, I did want to, dive deeper into your last open mic piece. Like I said, this one <laughs> might hit pretty close to home for me, but I loved this notion of yours of steeping as kind of a metaphor of once we go through certain experiences, we would do well to then not just run off on the trip have the trip, run back, get right into the mix, but to think more intentionally about a period to be able to, again, to use your metaphor, let that experience steep, enrich us, enrich the drink. Say a bit more about that, or have you, is that, I guess I'll ask the first question, how long have you been on that sort of metaphor, the steeping metaphor? Is that newer, or has that been one you've, thought about for a while? Um, well, the steeping metaphor came out when I was writing the piece and just kind of plopped out on the paper and you wrote, oh, I love this. And I was like, oh, cool. Um, but as far as the concept of that, yeah, it's been a piece I've, uh, I've been practicing, I guess, for quite a while. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, it's really, it's more common in like, the like plant medicine, like ayahuasca sort of circles. That's, it's really common. Um, and I don't, so I don't remember where the first time I like really started practicing it was, but I feel like it for like five years or more, maybe it's been something that I really think about is like creating the space afterwards, um, to, to land whatever, whatever it is that's coming through or, integrate or yes, yeah, steep. Um, so it's been a while and I knew, yeah, after the sea bear chapter that, um, it was a lot that I learned that I didn't even, I don't even know what it is all the way yet. You know, it's like, it's, it's little pieces are still dropping in as I'm noticing society. I'm noticing the juxtaposition of who I was before and who I am now. And so it's been cool, like to just go lay by the river, you know, every day or at least a few times a week and just be. And I notice, yeah, in the being is where the realizations come later. So this part, when we've started this conversation, it was part of our last conversation about sort of the busyness of normal life. Yeah. <clears throat> These periods aren't built in. No. And so what do we do? I know. 
I mean, that's the big question, right? It's like, it really requires a lot of intentionality around it. Um, and I think it requires like, if we're in, if we know we're going to go out the way I like think about it is if we know we're going to go out and do something big. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell a story actually about a time when I didn't do this and, uh, learn from my mistake. Um, it was, maybe when I was like 24, 25, I think it was when I filmed Almost a Blaze. It was that season. Maybe it was the one before, but I had had a really big winter. I had broken up with my boyfriend of three years who was living with me during the winter. I'd had like a really challenging year with a lot of ski trips and then Alaska and um, Powder Magazine wanted to do a profile on me. And a journalist had come out John Clary Davies was so good. We became really good friends after this, after I broke down multiple times in front of him. That'll make you <laughs> awkward, fast friends. Um, so we, he had come out in the winter to do a trip with me uh, to kind of like get the story, but felt like he needed more. And in my naivety, I was like, oh, every year after Alaska to kind of integrate it, I go to the desert and I spend some time down there you should come with me. I would love to take you. So he's like, okay, cool. So like three, two days or three days after I get back from Alaska, he comes in, we head to the desert. I don't really know him that well. We're in my truck driving down and, um, he's asking me questions and I'm following this guidebook that had old information for mile markers. I wanted to take him to a new spot. We end up like getting lost, not super lost, but like, you know, the info was wrong and I just like had a meltdown. He was asking me questions about kind of like pushing, prodding journalistic questions. And I could not hold up to the pushing. And I had a full like crying meltdown. He felt awful. He's in the passenger seat, just like quiet, like doesn't know what to do. And I'm just like, that this is a horrible idea. I can't believe that I just like agreed to freaking have like let this person into my life when I'm in this really vulnerable space of like, coming down from this really crazy winter. And it ended up totally working out. We became really great friends. I took him to some of my favorite spots in the desert and like the whole uh, situation was like alchemized. And I think actually because of everything that he witnessed me through, we became closer and it ended up being a beautiful story. At one point he was like, I hope that you're still going to like me after I write this story. And I was like, oh my God, what are you going to write about? Like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was like really, and I came back and I was talking to Rachel Burks and she was like, you did what? You took him down three days after Alaska. Why did you think that was a good idea? So it's like, we know that after these big moments, like we need some decompression time, you know? Um, but after that, I started taking it more seriously. And, and so now when I know I'm going on a big experience, I try if possible to arrange my schedule or at least like the intention for the time afterwards to allow for some of that. And it might just be like, I'm going to just make a point of being in nature for four hours a week, or it might look different. I think for all of our lives, um, it might be like, yeah, less time on the computer for a while if possible, or it could look a multitude of different ways. But I think just like bringing the temperature down and the speed down as much as we can is, I don't know, the way to go. We all have to figure out how to do it in our own way. Um, yeah. 
I don't know. Does it, did that make sense? <laughs> you know, it's funny for quite a while. And I, I think folks will resonate with this. The, the phrase you, you go on a vacation or you go on a, you know, adventure or something. And it's like, man, I need a vacation from my vacation. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's kind of true, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. in this way, we're, you know, I probably have a life where you get back, you get back late, usually you sleep a few hours, you're right back in the mix. Mm-hmm. And so that whole, I need a vacation from my vacation. Mm-hmm. Usually that's when I've thought about that, it's the physical recovery of it. Mm-hmm. But your piece is really talking about the processing and, you know, it's just interesting. It's something that, and probably a lot of people do, if you are fortunate enough to travel, go on a trip or something, you're like, well, I'll set my return as late as I possibly can before I have to get back to my job responsibilities or family responsibilities or whatever. And I don't know. I think you, among other things, your piece may have gotten me to think, come back a day or two early not the last possible minute, come back early, allow some of that processing time in addition to the physical recovery. We shouldn't like blow that part off, but that would be a very different way of thinking about new experiences, trips, travel, and the rest than kind of I've ever operated. Yeah. I had a friend who, uh, she would tell people that she was in town like two days after she was actually in town <laughs> or like vice versa. Like she would just build in buffers where people thought she was on the trip. And so she could just <laughs> do whatever she needed to do, like hermit out or take a bath or whatever, have like a little bit of cushion before people thought that she was back at work or whatever. Um, But I also think that there's like a, there's a mindset shift. And I think it's most important with, you know, the big experiences. Like I, I think I totally agree with you on the vacations where it's like, maybe you're playing really hard or maybe you're kind of like binge partying and just like blowing the doors off cause you can. And then you come back and you're like, or maybe it was like a really big bike trip and you're just like exhausted and you come back home and you need the physical recovery. And I also think that for the, for the big trips that, um, change us, or, or even like breakups or like big emotional moments or just, you know, those like poignant times. I think that there's a mindset shift that we can allow ourselves that sometimes feels impossible, right? You're like, how can I get space in my life to slim down the to-do list just a teeny bit? Like, how can I carve out just a little more space in my life? And I think we, at least I have this thing of like, I have to get everything done or else everything's going to fall apart or I'm going to be a failure or like they're going to hate me or whatever. And I'm afraid to say no to some things when I'm like, oh my, like I'm just feeling too full. I feel like I need to not to do less, but I don't want to tell these people no until something really like usually really bad in our life happens, right? Like we get really sick, our family member gets sick, maybe we get a divorce. And then you realize like, oh, actually it is possible to reframe and be like, hey, I need to take some time off or 
I'm just, I can't do all the things on my list. I'm going to chill or like whatever. It, it usually takes the big things for us to realize our life is a little bit more malleable than we get rigidly thinking in our brain. And so like just the mindset shift, if possible, of like, how can I allow a little bit more ease? Like, do I have to do all this stuff? Or is there a couple things that can wait? You know, for me, it's, it's really about the mindset shift. Um, or at least it has been like lately. Mm -hmm. Steeping. We should be more intentional about it. I love the piece. We'll link to it in the show notes of this episode. And like I said, I, I think, you know, we, we just have a decent amount of stuff going on at blister these days. And so I'm really like everything that we're involved with and what we're up to. But, um, but there, it doesn't leave a lot of time to process, soak up the thing we just completed because we're on to the next. And I think that being a lot more intentional to try to build that time in for, for, for me personally um, is something that I definitely want to work on. And I think probably everybody listening to this can more or less relate you know? And so I think it's a helpful piece. Yeah. Um, it's part of the, it's part of the experience. It's part of the process is the, the post, right? And you don't, you don't just get to drop the tea bag into the water and it, it's, it needs time to infuse, to integrate. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. And it's like, I just feel like I, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot more flavor that can come when we allow it. And so it's not like we're, yeah, it's not like you have to do it or if you don't do it, you're going to miss it. But I just, I've found that my most potent transformations or realizations or recalibrations have come from, yeah, like giving it just a little bit more than the corporate grind or society kind of encourages us to do. Let's move into some listener submitted questions. We're going to get into another big topic here in a second, but as I often say, I don't know why I say this because it doesn't actually make any sense, but when Cody and I are doing reviewing the news episodes, I talk about palate cleansers. <laughs> like a nice sorbet. It's a, it's a little bit of a, it's like a mental sorbet, I guess. You mentioned this, and this was actually a question that came in that asked if you could be an animal, what animal mm. would you be? This is always such a good question. I feel like this is a good common question too. Well, I I mean, it's really hard to pass up being like a bird of prey, like an eagle, you know, top of the food chain, cruising around, great vision, <laughs> no real predators. You can fly. You when they mate, they lock talons and spiral down in this crazy <laughs> Yeah. When they mate, they fly up really high and they lock their talons and then they free fall in a spiral down. This, yeah, I don't know why they choose to do it that way, but wow. I'm a fan. <laughs> I don't think that's in the Kama Sutra, but <laughs> that's why you'd want to be an eagle. The eagle sutra is probably lit. Um, so, <laughs> so an eagle. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yep. I've, I've, not, I've definitely not thought about this yeah. enough. So thank so you. So that, that's yeah. option A. Yeah. Option B, I think um, it would be really cool to be a dolphin. I just feel like they're so, like, you know, being in the underwater world would be really cool. And they're so playful, um, you know, so incredibly intelligent. And, yeah, I just, like, seeing the videos of them surfing in waves. And when they play off the bow of the boat, like, you know, when we're sailing, like, we'll have these big pods come and they just surf on the boat's wake with you. And it's just, like, they just seem like they're having so much fun. Um, so I think those are my top two. What about you? I told you, I got asked this question last night. I was hanging out with my friends, Laura and Matt. And um, the answer last night was dolphin. Nice. M Matt's answer, Laura actually also dolphin, but Matt was a bird of prey. So is this, is this it? Like the birds of prey and dolphins, have they locked this question up for the vast majority of human beings? I feel like they sort of have a monopoly on our um, dream consciousness of, yeah, animal possibilities. I feel like I've heard that a lot. Um, but but then, I don't know, for a while I was like, it'd be pretty cool to be a mountain goat because they just, they climb around in some crazy terrain. It looks cool. But then you see them getting chased by like, mountain lions or snow leopards in the Himalaya. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a, mm. a lot of respect for buffalo. So I think the animal I might respect mm. the most are buffalo. They're just out there. It's 40, 50 degrees below zero. They're chilling. It's 100 degrees, 110 degrees Fahrenheit. They're chilling. Like to me, buffaloes are the most stoic creatures out there so that's why you like it <laughs> appeals to the stoic nature it's a bit of why i like it yeah but uh but i, yeah. I would rather be totally. a dolphin than a buffalo definitely not a mayfly where your existence is 24 hours and you're like well shoot that was really fast <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah i'm still just taking in this whole place <laughs> yeah yeah i barely seen anything and i'm out well, let us know if you think there is, you know, another clear contender for the animal that we ought to want to be, you know, leave us a comment or, 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 yeah, or just let DM us know uh, on the socials or something. But I, because right now I am starting to think we're, if, if a lot of humankind would agree that it's kind of bird of prey or dolphin, <laughs> there's a whole lot of the animal kingdom that we're we're just dismissing probably incorrectly. I would agree. Yeah, let us know, guys. What else you got? What other creative suggestions? Get us out of our boxes here. <laughs> Palette is cleansed. <laughs> yeah. Palette cleanser over. Yeah. We received a rather long email, and the person uh, asked to uh, to remain anonymous on this, but I think I can boil it down pretty nicely, and I think it's a pretty common issue that a number of folks deal with, and frankly, it is the issue of jealousy. We have talked about forgiveness and some of the important things to understand about that, some of the trickiness around forgiveness, but jealousy is something that 
this was specifically uh, in the context of a romantic relationship, not a like a work colleague or something like that. But it kind of boiled down to like thoughts on jealousy when one person in a relationship is demonstrating some pretty significant emotions, feelings of jealousy. Another person feels like it is not, they are not doing things sort of inappropriate. Thoughts on this? What it means, ways around it, best ways to deal with it? Yeah, definitely not something you could address in 220 characters, 2200 characters in an Instagram post. What a nuanced concept. Um, I mean, I do think it's so individual and I do think jealousy is very, very different when it comes to romantic partnerships versus like competitor jealousy. Um, because I feel like competitor jealousy is easier to deal with because the way I view it is it's like, that other person has something that you want or is showing you a way that you really, really want to be. So it's actually like a beacon towards something that you deeply desire. And I think it's actually can be so um, good in that way that it's pointing you to like, oh my God, that is so important to me. I want that so bad. I want to be able to be that way so bad. Um, so I think that's easier to to deal with. And with romantic partners, oh man, I feel like it's yeah, a whole different ball game, obviously. Um, my initial, I mean, obviously I'm not a therapist, um, but my perspective and my personal thoughts on it is that there's like a couple things going on. You know, one, I think, uh, trust is trust and communication. Like I think are so important as like the foundational blocks of any relationship. And when I see, when I feel jealousy show up or when I um, have experienced, like when I see other friends like in jealousy, a lot of times there's something around an insecurity or around not feeling fully chosen or fully honored. And so like when you unpack that, it's like we all are imperfect. We all have our insecurities and we have needs that our partner can help us with, right? And we might have like a trigger, like, um, you know, I have a really hard time when you go out and get really drunk at the bar with your guy friends at this particular bar where there's lots of girls that are, you know, available or whatever. And so I think the, what's important with the jealousy is like, am I feeling honored? What would it take to feel honored? And do I feel like my partner is willing to meet me there? Right. And, um, if it's around an insecurity that maybe doesn't make sense, like, you know, I know you would never cheat on me, but like, I feel insecure when you're drinking out with the guys and there's a bunch of girls around, like, would you shoot me a text? when you're leaving or, you know, finding out what would it take to make you feel a little more secure in it. Um, and just really communicating like, and being clear with yourself, like, okay, I have this insecurity. What would it take to feel reassured or to feel like my partner has my back and digging deep on, on what that would be and being okay. If it being okay, owning those things. Right. 
And from the other person's perspective, like the other partner's perspective, if your partner is being really jealous, like some of their requests or their insecurities might seem really, um, like they might not make sense. They might seem like, well, that shouldn't upset you because of course I wouldn't cheat on you or of course I've got your back or of course I prioritize you, right? Like it's your own insecurities that you need to figure out how to deal with. Like that's not my problem. And so it's really nuanced and figuring out, you know, if you're the person who's not jealous, who's, you know, your partner is jealous. It's like, are there requests? Um, do I feel like, I can honor their requests for what would make them feel better in a way where I still get to be me or I still get to, you know, like live life the way that I want to, or am I really having to compromise the things I love or like go way out of my way to assure them in a way that's not working. And like if communicating around, like, how can I, how can we provide more security in this relationship? And if it's not working, you know, and there's deeper, triggers or deeper insecurities that need to be looked at. Like I know people view, can view therapy as like, Oh, something's wrong with me. I'm broken or our relationship is broken. I think that's a bunch of baloney. You don't go work out with a personal trainer because you think your body's like broken. You're like, no, I want to get strong and be the best athlete I can be. And that's how I view stuff with our minds with like, you know, um, meditation or, you know, like psychotherapy or not psychotherapy sports. Um, uh, I'm blanking on the word sports psychology, sports psychology. Thanks. And, and also like our emotional bodies, right? How we relate. And I think therapy or like some like tools in the therapy realm are so helpful. And also if there's, um, like Pete and I, when we're in a major disagree, like we have the freaking best relationship ever. And sometimes there's just like a chink that we cannot work around and having a third party. Uh, sometimes it's a friend that we both really trust that we'll bring it to. Um, or like we haven't been around a place where we could go to therapy. So we've always brought in a friend, but like having a neutral third party that both of us really trust to hold the space so we can both feel heard, um, allows us to get around, you know, uh, blocks maybe where we'd get spun out in circles and find like a deeper understanding. So, um, yeah, that's, I mean, without knowing the details, like that would be my overarching views. I'm curious what your thoughts are on it. I don't think I have very good thoughts on this because I tend to be on the side of like, there's trust in the relationship or there isn't. And that I realize sounds super black and white and, there should be a very broad spectrum of gray in between there. And certainly I think that, a, you know, an individual's behavior can increase trust or reduce trust. So I completely agree with everything you said about, um, and, and I would like to think we are actually in a new era where there's less stigma around therapy than perhaps ever before. That we are, you know, I, I wouldn't, I don't think we were in a better spot with like the, the idea of like, maybe go to therapy. I don't think that was better 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 50 years ago. It's about as good of a time in at least modern 
American society than ever on those fronts. I know when we were talking about communication styles, um, I think on our last conversation, I asked this question about to what extent do you think two people, if they're really going to have this rich relationship going forward, need to have similar communication styles at the onset versus people can have two pretty radically different communication styles, but over time and perhaps with some therapy or whatever, really come together, you know, into a very rich and robust way. I guess I wonder that a little bit on the jealousy front too. If two people are just wired real differently, do, does that couple really have the hope of bringing things together in a rich way where there's not a lot of suspicion, at least by one party a bunch of the time? What's your thought on that? I mean, I definitely think that kind of like what we talked about with the communication style coming together or like, you know, a bond formed with very different, mm, like either communication styles or yeah, where like there, there is a tendency for a lot of creation of jealousy. Like, uh, it's going to obviously be tougher. Um, I don't think it's impossible, but I think part of the problem is, you know, we get, we learn how to be in relationship for the most part by, you know, watching our family or our parents. And, um, we kind of tend to recreate those, you know, habits and relationship patterns. And then we tend to attract partners that are very similar to our parents. You know, it's like we find ourselves in these dynamics that are very similar. And, um, you know, there's like the term out there, like trauma bond, where it's like your, um, your triggers, you find yourself in these relationships where like your insecurities and your triggers are totally matched up to just trigger each other like crazy, you know? And like some, you know, people with abandonment issues will gravitate or like anxious avoidant attachment styles. You know, there's, I, I, there's so many different ways of looking at this, but, um, you know, like I dated a guy for a while who had really, gnarly abandonment issues and I'm traveling all the time for my ski career and man I did everything I could I moved into I moved in with him like I provided as much security as I could um, but still two days before I would go on a trip every time we would get in a big fight and it didn't really matter how much I did to make him feel secure it was like I just was leaving all the time. It was really hard for him. And like, beside, short of changing my career or like saying no to important trips, like I, there wasn't much I could do. And, um, you know, it, at that time, it wasn't a great time for him to do some deep personal work. And so we kind of reached this like impasse. And yeah, I think it's really real. I think you can work around it um, or work with it. But I think both parties have to be willing to compromise. And I think the, you know, sometimes jealousy is really speaking to something important, right? Sometimes our intuition is like, man, I just don't feel great about what they're doing, or I don't feel like they're totally all in with me. And like, that's really valid too, you know? And so listening to that and figuring out like, am I getting what I need? Are they totally there for me? What would it take for me to feel like they are? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, so complicated and nuanced and different every time. Um, but I do think that, it, especially with jealousy, like 
both parties or especially one party, depending on how the situation is, often has to really sit with what it, what is that insecurity and how, yeah, where is it coming from? What can be done about it? Is it therapy? Is it X, Y, Z? I'm rambling now, but. Yeah. No, and I think that question of are there things, behavioral things, that one of the people in the relationship can do differently that really does, in fact, sort of set things or make the other person feel at ease? Because if there aren't actually behavioral changes that can be made by one person for the other person to then feel at ease, that's maybe where it's like, we don't, we just aren't aligning yep. in a way that's going to bode well for the next yeah X number of years. Totally. And I think it's okay. Like the other thing is so often we view relationship endings as failures and I just so disagree with that. You know, it's like all relationships are enriching in, well, I mean, obviously there's toxic ones that are awful and maybe not enriching. Um, so I won't make it a blanket statement. <laughs> yeah. I'll accept all but, the toxic But, you know, like ones. in general, yeah. relationships can be so enriching and not meant to last forever. And just because it ends doesn't mean it was a failure. It's like, oh, that that didn't end up being the right fit or it's no longer you know, serving me or us in this way and, and accepting that as being okay too, I think is important because sometimes you realize like, oh, I'm actually with this person that's really incompatible in this way. And I don't want to fight till the, you know, we're losing our hair to make this work like that being okay. Cause I don't know. I, when I've been in relationships that I really want to fight for, it's very clear, you know, like, oh, this is worth really working through this for. All right. That's our, Thoughts on jealousy for the time being, but um, yeah, we're, uh, each month, I think we'll just try to maybe work through, you know, forgiveness, communication, jealousy. We're, we're, we're on a roll here. I mean, again, you always <laughs> point out it's called deep dives. The one thing I do want to point out that I think is really important for jealousy is for both sides to feel like they're taking ownership of like their own side of the street, you know? And I think that that's where, I mean, really with anything, but that's where amends can be made is, is where both parties are like, yeah, I can see how when I do this thing, it affects you in this way. Or, you know, just like really taking ownership and responsibility and meeting from that place, I think is the most important part. Okay, that's all I have to say about it. <laughs> this question, I am very curious to hear your uh -oh. answer to it. Rachel asks, how do you notice your most aligned opportunities present themselves? And I confess to you before we started our conversation that I don't, I don't use all of these terms and words. <laughs> and your response was, that's a great question. And, and I kind of was hoping you would unpack this for me or how you think about it. So anyway, Rachel, thank you for what Angel has already called a very good question, but how do you notice your most aligned opportunities present themselves? Is it too new age wording for you a little bit? <laughs> okay. Maybe. Okay. Let me put my new age decoder on for you. Okay. okay. So thank you. Um, 
how I understand the question or, you know, aligned obviously is pretty straightforward. But when I think of aligned opportunities, it's like, um, you know, the good ones, the right ones, the ones that are pointing me to where I really want to go. And how do I determine those from opportunities that, you know, aren't really going to lead me to where I want to go. And so when these opportunities show up, how do I know like, yes, this is the one that's going to take me down this path, or this is like a great opportunity, but it's not really like actually where I want to go. And like, how do I tell the difference is how I understand the question. Did the new age decoder okay. work for that? I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But keep going. No, no, no. Yes. What was your butt? Well, so, okay. So I want to add the word that in here. So I w- how do you notice that your most aligned opportunities or how do you notice that the opportunities that align best with your particular goals, beliefs, and principles how did those present mm-hmm. themselves? That's my yeah. interpretation of the question. But the question is really about yeah. how did they show up or how do you recognize yeah. them? And that's interesting. I, and that is to me too, which is why I was like, oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> okay, well, let's uh, go there. We're, we I need think, answers. Well, okay, so part of it is getting, I think we all have a very personal relationship with our own intuition. And I think that that relationship is maybe one of the best uh, things to hone in our lives because it is always pointing us to what's right for us. And, you know, I've had a lot of experience with that from skiing because um, there's been times when my intuition was like, Mm-mm, don't ski that line right now. And I did. And I tomahawked a thousand feet, you know? So I have started to kind of pay attention to my gut feeling. And I think I just want to go on a slight tangent. Um, because what I noticed is as an athlete, I'm constantly overriding my body's input, actually. Like, you just push harder, you go more. And when I first blew my knee, I was in physical therapy and people would be like, oh, well, you know, just go until your body tells you it's time to stop. And I'm like, I don't know how to freaking do that. I've just always overridden all of my body's inputs all the time. So it was really hard for me actually to listen to what my body needed. Um, I could push it as hard as I wanted. I could make it do anything. But when it had a really subtle input, I was clueless. And what it took for me to start to listen to my body's input, and I'm saying this because I think it's really similar to intuition because intuition for me speaks through my body. I started taking better care of my body. And um, the more that I listened to my body, took it easy, um, ate better, slept more, just like paid conscious attention and quit overriding it. Uh, the louder it got and I could be like, Oh, actually that was, that was, that's enough reps. I I'm going to stop now, or I'm not going to push it any deeper in this yoga position. Like actually I can tell it's not going to be good instead of just more, more stronger, faster. So honoring my body's very subtle messages got louder and louder. And this is a theme that I've heard from a lot of people too. Um, that helped me to listen to my intuition because it's like the subtle signs of when something excites us, 
when we don't want to do something and it's a no. It's like always so subtle. So paying attention to the subtleties in the body first have helped me with my intuition and it gets louder and louder. And so when now, when I have an opportunity come in, it's usually a pretty immediate like gut yes or gut no. Like obviously if there's any feeling of like dread or if I think I have to do it for somebody else or there's some external expectation, like I, I can associate that feeling with how it makes me feel in my body and I'm like, oh, nope, that's not the right one. Or like I think I should do it because of old decision-making things. It's like actually I can feel it in my body now. A lot of times it's in my in my stomach. Um, and when an aligned opportunity comes along, I'll just be a yes and I won't know why. I'll like my friend was like, hey, will you come nanny for me? My three kids in Costa Rica for two weeks. I'm not a kid person. I shouldn't say I'm not a kid person. I have never spent time with kids. If kids are being really loud, traditionally I'll like, you know, move myself a little bit further away, that kind of a thing. So I don't know why I was a full yes, but immediately I was a full yes. And then it led to a bunch of things, a bunch of relationships. It was just, I'm so glad I did and I didn't know why. Um, So sometimes it's like an immediate yes. And sometimes when I think about it, I'm both terrified and super excited. And those are the really good ones. Um, And sometimes it's like hard to determine, like, is this a good decision? Because it kind of freaks me out. Um, It feels like maybe it's a no because there's fear associated with it. But for me, I'm always paying attention to that excitement component. Like, does it kind of almost give me butterflies? Or like, is there some mysterious tingling where I'm like, ooh, like, whoa, what is that? So that's my best answer to the question um, is, yeah, it's usually with my intuition. Because sometimes when I think something should be the right thing or it checks all the boxes, something in me will be like, mm, no, I don't know why, but no. And I think that we all have that. Um, so, yeah. I'm curious what, if you, what your answer would be to that. I'm I'm still <laughs> I think the question was phrased so interestingly like how do these opportunities again my translation how do the opportunities that are aligned with your goals or principles or beliefs how do they present themselves and I might be hung up on like the wrong words in the sentence but like do they come in via email are they often through over a phone call, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm not, I might, like I said, I might be hung up on the wrong part of the sentence, but I, I read it as that part, the, how did, how, how are right. they introduced to you? Right. Yeah. Are they frequently, you know, is it a dove, a message, <laughs> right. a bird, you know, a pigeon or something? Um, and that I don't, I don't feel like I there's the, a common way, but in terms of you know considering opportunities, what I've now said I guess twice is like, does it align with a goal, a belief, or a principle that I don't know that I um, like specifically ask myself those questions. Maybe I should start doing that more. 
But I think a lot of times, um, I, I actually should start doing that more. But I think I've been operating on the sense that I know what my goals are, beliefs are, and principles, and hence it's almost um, innate when some of these opportunities come through, you know, I get excited by some, less excited by others, and certainly do, I think, pay attention to that, to the emotional response. If it's like, ugh, um, versus like, ooh, that's really interesting. And the brain just starts, you know, you turn, start turning things over and thinking through possibilities. So I don't, I don't know. I like the idea that the the best opportunities always come via carrier pigeon, though. Yeah, I do too. Or sick. stork. Yeah. Yeah. Or stork. Oh wait, those are usually babies, so they're not always a good idea. Wait, just kidding. I love kids. No. Um. <laughs> I when I think about the way that you interpreted it, I would say um, I think that there is a tendency for how opportunities present themselves, like the right ones, and it's usually not. I think we all operate differently too. Cause I know some people that work really hard and then the opportunities like manifest and, you know, quote unquote manifest. And for me, it's actually, they usually come in via outside people. Like it's an invitation from someone else. Um, it's not something where I'm like, I got a claw tooth and nail, you know, it's like, uh, an idea will pop in or someone will present me with an opportunity and um, like, for example, a dream of mine is to have a property in the tropics and to grow my own food and to be able to sail there. And I like know that I, I just know from how everything in my life has gone, including, you know, my, my ski career and getting invited to be on films and just how the entire career was built to the boat to like everything when it's time, when it's the right time in my life something kind of plops into my sphere and I'm like, Ooh, there it is. That's it. And I was like, when we were sailing around on sea bear, I was like, should I be looking on real estate lists and in Panama, should I be like going out and touring properties? But I'm like, no, I know that the way that I operate, if something it like, I'll just have a random person mention at a party like, oh yeah, I'm selling properties and lots in Costa Rica or whatever. It would come in that way as opposed to me going out and trying to find it. I don't know whether that was on a podcast or offline, but you have articulated this before that mm -hmm. some of these opportunities that we're discussing have come through the form of an invitation. And um, that's interesting. And I think I recall us saying... Some I find myself in positions where I get an idea and then I'm like, yeah, I think I want to do that. And then we just kind of bowl ahead and try to make certain things happen. And, and these days there's maybe a mix of that and invitations. But I think that's interesting that you have said to me before that the invitation part is kind of how it's worked for you. And um, it's maybe worth folks asking themselves that the the best opportunities they've had or things they've done, were they kind of self-generated ideas or did they come from sort of other folks and, and invitations? I like what's happening with your lighting right now. It's, <laughs> you do because um, I don't. Yeah. I, do you need a pair of sunglasses? I feel like I need to ship you a pair of sunglasses. Oh, yeah. To... Oh, you know what I have right next to me? Because I've got my hippie, my um, singing bowls, but I have all my colored color therapy glasses there's let's see what i got i got 
blue, orange, red, purple, pink. Oh, the green ones are on the boat. I'll put the blue ones on. I got dark blue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the future's so bright. Yeah. She's got so blue. Shades. We're going to do two last questions. I think given what we were just talking about, this feels like a pretty interesting follow-up question to now ask you. Ro asks, Hi, how do you manage imposter syndrome when moving into a new project that is a dream of yours? So the sunglasses are amazing right now. <laughs> Slightly distracting, but amazing. So we just went from this question of how do you identify, receive, you know, the most aligned opportunities. But now we're into this question of how do you manage imposter syndrome when moving into a new project that is a dream of yours? Mm -hmm. Well, that question fit, hits very close to home at the moment um, because I think I've talked about this a little bit before, but, you know, skied, my whole life was around it. 30 years, you know, sailing. I don't think my whole life is going to be around sailing. It will always be a part of it. But this, you know, during the past two years, I'm like, what do I really want my life to be about? You know, what's like my deepest dream? Like when I really sit with it, like what's the my deepest, deepest dream? And a lot of times a good place, this is just some fun side fact, but a lot of times a good place to mine for dreams is um, regrets. What do you really regret? What do you really wish you would have done? What do you really wish your parents would have done for you when you were growing up? And I just really, really love music so much. And I really just want to be good at music. Like I love singing. I have a, like, you know, I love singing. I've sang since I, before I could talk. Um, and I just want to hone my voice and be a really, really good singer. I also want to produce my own music. I like, I want to be able to do like live looping and do different vocal effects. And, um, I want to be able to DJ and I don't necessarily want to do it to make money or for a career or as like my identity, um, in the outside world. I just want it to be for me and I want to be really good at it. And it feels so intimidating because I don't know anything about music. I didn't take any music theory classes. Like I'm starting at the beginning. And so anytime I'm like trying to do anything, I feel like it's too late or, you know, my most precious years of like really too, like working on my voice are gone in childhood, all of that, all those stories that we all have about our dreams. They're very real for me right now. And I think with the imposter thing, it's like just having humility, you know, like um, it's like a mix of humility and also belief in yourself, you know, like being your own best friend through the process. And um, I think, you know, I was watching, so yeah, anytime I'm going down YouTube rabbit holes, it's all music stuff. And I was just watching this, this one um, woman who instructs uh, like DJ courses. She was like, if you're doing something for the first time, you're going to be nervous. Like 
there's no way you're going to get, well, maybe for some people, but not for me. There's no way you're just going to get up there and be like, oh yeah, I'm rocking this. I know what I'm doing. And so I think it's just like embracing that I don't know what I'm doing. And also I'm, I know what I'm doing and I'm going to give it a go. It's sort of like holding this paradox. And I think so many of us feel like imposters even people that are really good at what they do feel like imposters like I can't believe I get paid this much like I feel like I'm not as good as so and so or so and so and I think we're all in this game where we we all kind of feel like we're not good enough and we all kind of feel like we're imposters and um like you know for me at least trying this new thing it's like (laughs) yeah it's just finding that wobbly line of like I don't know what I'm doing that's okay I still am totally going to go for it a hundred percent and I believe in myself and I'm going to stick myself out there. And like, once I get to a place where I have to like, or maybe I want to book a gig for whatever, I don't know, you know, there will be a place of being, I'm sure being like, well, do they even know? Like, I don't even really know what I'm doing. Like I just started, like, what if I just mess it all up? Do they even know who they're booking? And I don't know. It's just that dance for me (laughs) yeah i i feel like you know the the part of the question that says you know how do you manage imposter syndrome when you're doing or starting on something that's really a dream of yours to me if it's really a dream the excitement and enthusiasm to pursue it for me just kind of squashes the imposter syndrome if it's really a dream well then I'm ecstatic that I have a, a, allegedly an opportunity to take steps toward that. And, and I think also that recognition that we're always evolving. There is like perfection. Joseph Conrad talks about, you know, the sort of perfection is a frozen state. Like, so there's the image of like the, the pinned butterfly, right? It's pinned. It's perfect. It's also dead. Right. And so, I mean, there's always going to be room for improvement. We will always make mistakes. But if you're that jazzed and enthusiastic to have an opportunity to pursue a dream, let's go. And just understand you will get better with reps always, every single thing, any, any form of human practice or craft or activity. So, um, I, I think be grateful that you're in a position to make good on something that you've identified as a dream and, and get going and work hard and know you will get better with repetition. And yeah, like just remembering some of the best people in the world feel like imposters. And um, yeah, I like what you said about like really tuning into the excitement as a fuel source to kind of get you over the hump of like, who am I to do this? Yeah. I love both of those. <laughs> Last question. The light is seeming to be let you're being less attacked by the light at the moment. So that's, you know, but if you need to Blinded put the sunglasses the... back on. Oh yeah. Well, no, you were <laughs> yeah. distracted by it. So I'm, I'm <laughs> no, I don't want to be, I don't want to be responsible for your like seared retinas. <laughs> yeah. So we're going out with a bang on this last question. Uh-oh. We're really dialing things up right oh, now. Oh, jeez. Dog by Association asks, if you led a church, 
and you had to give out body and blood to your disciples, <laughs> what food and drink would you pass out that embodies you? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Ooh. Uh, well, I think I'd have to go with mini chewy sweet tarts <laughs> because they're tangy. They're, they're fun. They pack a punch. They're small. They're bite size. They're a little sour sometimes. They can also make you a little sick if you get too much of them. So you have to eat sparingly, but they're also just absolutely delicious. What is this again? Mini this is mini chewy sweet tarts. They come mini chewy sweet tarts. Yeah, I I almost actually I was really close in my ski days to writing um to get a Willy Wonka sponsorship because I ate so many of all of their candies that I would like spend ridiculous amounts of money. But I then I kicked my sugar habit, which was good. Mm. But mm. um yeah, they come in like a little Anyways, I don't even. I'll I'll freaking mail you a bag, and you'll know what I'm talking okay. about. Okay, <laughs> yeah. thank you. Yeah, I've never had one. I don't think As, a mini chewy sweet tart. Yeah, do you know what sweet tarts are? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I had those when I was like eight years old and trick or treating. Yeah, they're amazing as well. The OGs, <laughs> but then they decided to go 2.0 and up the ante, and they're like these little balls. They're like. They're bigger than a BB. They're like maybe a centimeter in diameter. And they're like kind of crunchy on the outside, but then they're all chewy and they're sour. Totally different consistency than sweet tarts, but they're good. So they're great. we had body and blood. Yeah. So um, we need, I think we need the blood. Yeah, well, in bodies. Mm. It's a hell of an answer for the, for the body part. <laughs> That's great. Okay, cool. Though I've never had, yeah, I can't say I've ever had one, but that was well, an amazing now, answer. Well, now when but... you eat it, you're going to be like, oh, angels, <laughs> sacramented flesh, yum. <laughs> You'll never actually be able to like eat that many of them. Um, the, the drink is a little bit harder. Um, hmm. I feel like nothing's popping to mind. Um I mean, I I love me a good prosecco, like champagne. But I'm kind of go trending away from alcohol these days. Huh. Uh, but good champagne is just kind of it's like bubbly. It's heady. You can drink it at any time of day. <laughs> it's used for celebrations. <laughs> um, also, can't have too much of it, or else you're gonna regret that too i mean we're talking about i think very small doses here yeah yeah you know, right right sacraments it's, aren't we're yeah, not you're like not... binge sacramenting <laughs> right. so i think we're okay, okay so I on stick both with my answers. yeah that's amazing oh um, okay a, but good answer you have to go now i mean honestly dog did not ask about mine <laughs> um but uh yeah but i want to know the things that come to mind well for the blood, I mean, I, I still do enjoy a good whiskey or bourbon. And, you know, again, we're talking, these are small doses. So yeah. I think um, a good whiskey or bourbon for the blood. And for the body, the first thing that came to mind is I do still have a decent number of 
protein shakes a day, but maybe that goes more into the blood category. <laughs> but I think my disciples would be way more stoked about having like a good bourbon or whiskey than, you know, protein shake. But what if you just put um, your protein powder in the whiskey and it was a twofer? <laughs> no, no, we don't do that. We don't do that around here. Um, I also, I do eat like almost every day I have one veggie burger. And so maybe it's like a veggie burger and bourbon. All right. That's kind of like lumber sexual vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Have you, you know that term, yeah? Uh, I do. Yeah, I, like I kind of woke Portland hipster. You wear plaid. You've got a nice trimmed beard. <laughs> you know, you probably drive a Tacoma. I drive a Tacoma, so I'm not hating on it. But you're like woke, but also like manly. Mm. Church of the Lumber Sexuals. <laughs> That's my church. You're just church. You're the church of Willy Wonka. I mean, yeah. I, I'm guessing most people, having heard this, would far prefer to go to your church, where you get the mini, what is it, mini, mini chewy chew, sweet tarts, mini chewy sweet tarts and prosecco, or veggie burgers and bourbon. <laughs> I mean, I also, uh, it's a reader poll. We can we'll put this up and see see who wins. Yeah, but. do a poll. Okay, okay. Um, I don't know how we top that, so I think maybe this is where we need to sign off. But um, as always, great questions. Thank you for the good questions yeah, uh, that thanks, were submitted. Everybody. And um, thank you for diving deep once again, Angel. Yeah, all the best to you as you continue your reintegration process and uh, look forward to the next conversation. Yeah, same. Always so fun. Thanks, Jonathan. All right, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks to Angel for another great conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening and for all of your great questions. And for those of you who have written in to say just how much you're enjoying these conversations with Angel. Now, you can always write in with some of your questions for Angel by emailing us at info at blisterreview.com or you can send us a message on Instagram and we will collect some of your thoughts and questions that way too. All right, everybody, on that note, please take good care of yourself and everybody else and we will talk to you again real soon. <laughs>